2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, if you need a Bible this morning, there should be one right in front of you. Uh, it's the black bound book there, not the maroon one. The maroon one is the hymnal. There's great stuff in the hymnal and there's verses in there too, but that's not the one we're going to be going out of this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you do need a study sheet, if you didn't grab one, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. We're super high. We've got a couple up front here, guys. Uh, don't be embarrassed about that at all. Make sure your hand is, is super high so that way we can make sure to get you a study sheet. So this morning, we're going to be doing something uh, very unique. Um, never in our church's history have we done this. Uh, we're doing a study through 2 Timothy, and Pastor Tom is the one that is the preacher through 2 Timothy. And he said, hey, while I'm gone, do you want to just keep going? And I said, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a couple of reasons behind it. Uh, one of it is that he wants to try to get done with 2 Timothy before June. Um, and there's going to be a couple Sundays that he's going to be out. And, uh, but the other thing was, is we just want to do something a little bit different. And so he's like, hey, make sure you make a big deal out of it. So this is me making a, a big deal. I'm sure he'd make a much bigger deal out of it than I would. Um, but this was really interesting to me because, you know, Pastor Tom, God has been working in his heart and his mind through this book ever since he started 1 Timothy. And so there are things that are very unique as a senior pastor that God is working inside of him. So as he takes passage after passage and he's working through this, it's really, he's leading us on a journey through it. And so for him to take a Sunday off and then say, hey, here's the reins to me, I'm like, great, I better not mess this up. But at the same time, it was really neat because our conversations over the last couple of weeks and listening to the message from last week uh, just very intently and where God has us as a church, when it came to these verses, and I knew that these were the verses that I was going to have, I got excited about it. I got really, really excited about it. And so I think this is going to be a neat, a neat thing that we're going to be able to experience together. And, and if it doesn't go well, we'll just never do it again. But um, I, I'm, I'm excited about this passage. And so our text today is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. And the title of our message this morning is How to Be a Servant Meet for the Master's Use. Last week was on to how to avoid error, and this week it's how to be a servant meet for the Master's Use. So let's continue. Let's start with the opening paragraph. As we pursue the mission of multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ, which is the work of the Lord... We will face opposition from the enemies of God. Therefore, we must be obedient to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, to face this opposition properly. The enemy's opposition comes from without, as we saw last week in 2 Timothy 2, 16-19, where Paul gave clear instructions to Timothy on how to avoid error that will arise from heretics, their false doctrines, and the some that adhere to their pernicious ways. But it also comes from within, and often more subtly. Either way, the enemy's intended results are the same, to disarm every disciple from being a servant Meet for the master's use. Let's read verses 20 through 26. Chapter 2, 20 through 26. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, 
He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let's pray. Father, my heart is full this morning. And there are many things that are on my heart, many things that are in my mind, many things that I've written in my notes. But out of them all, your word is the most important. And I pray, God, that today that your word would go forth clearly and that it would convict us to cut us where we need to be cut, to heal us where we need to be healed. I pray that you'd be able to see the things inside of us and that we'd be able to see those same things that are hindering our relationship with you. That you would be able to show us very clearly in the mirror of your word the things that we are just not doing properly to be proper ministers and proper stewards of, of this work that you've given us. Multiplying disciples is, it can sound good and it can sound easy, but it is extremely difficult to do properly. And even though the work is hard and it can be slow at times, it is sure and it is steadfast if we do it the right way, do it the way that you've laid out for us. So I thank you for these messages in 2 Timothy already that have taught us these things, remind us of other things, to equip us to be better stewards, to be better disciples, in order to carry on the work into the next generation. And so the next generation after that can invest it into the next generation after that. So God, we just ask you this morning to teach us, to guide us, and if there's anything that will get in the way of that happening, I pray that you would remove it. Help us to have a right heart and right mind to receive your truth today, that it would change us and to make us more like your son. This world needs to see Christ as he actually is and not what people think that he is. And I don't ever want to get in the way of that. And I know that sometimes I do. So God, we need you today. I pray we all would have repentant hearts and that we would receive whatever you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so how to be a servant meet for the master's use. This passage is incredible. It is an incredible passage. The more I get into it, the more I realize that I want to get into it more and more and more. So Pastor Tom just came off of these last set of verses, and he spent a lot of time talking about these heretics and how to deal with heretics and how to deal with people that, ha that believe false doctrine, that teach false doctrine, that propagate false doctrine, and how that false doctrine wants to find its way inside of you to change you. And so how do you deal with it? Well, verse 16, but shun pervain and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word, which is what they want you to receive, they want you to receive their word, not God's word. Because their word and God's word are inconsistent. That's how you can discern false doctrine from true doctrine. True doctrine, sound doctrine, will always line up with Scripture. 
And a lot of people, especially intellects, will want to try to take your mind and heart away and make you think that their word is God's word, and that is not the case. Thankfully, we have an inerrant standard, the word of God that we can compare everything to, and it is our measuring stick. And so that was last week. This week, we're going to be talking about what's going on inside, because this is what false doctrine does. It wants to get inside of you, and it wants to change you, and it wants to change your behavior. And frankly, if we're all honest about this, false doctrine affects every single one of us. And there is a good chance that every one of us has something in us that we could consider false doctrine. And I want you to think about that. And I want you to allow God to have his way in you in that, to show you clearly if there's something in you that's false. Because we can get so accustomed to being in a good, sound church, but one of the concepts that we're going to hit and re-hit through this message is that your beliefs determine your behavior. Your doctrine will come out in the decisions that you're making. And so if there are decisions and behavior that is ungodly, and sinful, then you have some form of false doctrine in you. So we are all susceptible. Because remember our weakness is Laodiceans. We are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And we know not that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So the challenge is we need to be honest today. And if we are willing to be honest, then God can have his way inside of us. So point number one this morning that we're going to see from verses 20 through 22 is that we are to be a proper vessel. If you want to be a servant, meet for the master's use, we have to be a proper vessel. So first of all, we are vessels in the household of God. Verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, this household of God that we have, and this kind of goes back to what Pastor Tom was talking about last week, where he doesn't necessarily believe that Hymenaeus and Philetus were actually lost. I think this is another verse that proves the fact that they weren't lost, that they were actually saved but believing in, in unsound doctrine. Because in this household of God, there are vessels of gold, silver, wood, and of earth, some unto honor and some to dishonor. In God's house, there are vessels that are dishonorable. Think about that. It's the same in your own house. There are some vessels that are honorable, and there are some vessels that are not honorable. And sometimes there's a vessel that was honorable, and like, let's say you use it for leftovers. And then it sits in the fridge, and it becomes a vessel of dishonor, because there is mold and junk all over it. Then what do you have to do? You have to get it out. And it's the same sort of thing. There are things in God's house that are dishonorable because we've not been perfected yet. In 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 2, it says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We all come together as these lively stones into this spiritual house for the Lord. And in Ephesians 2.22, it says, In whom... Ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. This is an amazing truth that God desires to dwell in you, but not just to dwell in you, but to be his habitat. Like when you think about a habitat, that's a place where something lives, thrives, and multiplies, and is supposed to be fruitful. And so God wants you to be his habitat. 
And when you think about animals in a habitat, if they're in one habitat and then you take them out and you put them in another, they will likely die because they're not used to being in that particular habitat that you're putting them into. Think about this for a second. God wants you and I individually and collectively to be the place where he habits. And by the way, that's not a play on words either. Where he consistently dwells, where he wants to be. What a privilege and what an honor we have as believers. Little things like this, if we were to change our thinking, it would change your whole life. That God wants to be with you. So many times, I, I feel like sometimes it's just from my end where I'm like, well, I want to be with God and I need to be with God, but there are things in my life that I'm just like, well, I'm having a hard time because I'm dealing with this issue or that issue in my own life, and so I have to deal with these things before I can be with God. Through Jesus Christ, you are his habitat. He wants to dwell with you and to be with you. When you know things like this, it changes the way you are and the way that you think. And this is also why God is very, very particular about this habitat. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, If any man defiled the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye. So God wants his place to be in a certain way, shape, or form. And many Christians don't want to let God have his way in them. They just don't because God ends up ruining their vibe. He doesn't like, or he or she doesn't like what God wants. Like, God has every right to come into his household, into his temple, inside of you, inside of this church, and say, I don't want that. I want this. This looks good. Let's change this. Let's do that over here. And then our attitude should be, all right, Lord, whatever you want. This is your house. This is your place. This is your habitat. Man, Christianity has gone so way by the wayside. We tend to use God, and we like him for the benefit that he brings, but we forget that we are vessels in his household, that we belong to him. So we are either vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor. And so what makes a vessel honorable or dishonorable? And we've already talked about that through the example I gave. It's not the material that it's made from. It's what's on the inside. Because you can have a vessel of wood and it be a vessel of honor. Or you can have a vessel of gold and be a vessel of dishonor. So it's not about the material. It's about what's on the inside. And in this particular context, the vessels of honor are, or the vessels of dishonor, I should say, rather, are men like Hymenaeus and Philetus, and their profane and vain babblings, their cancerous words, and their false doctrine that overthrew the faith of some. And this is what he was talking about back in verse 16 and verse 17. And the result of this dishonorable material inside those vessels is verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. What made these men dishonorable vessels is their unwillingness to receive biblical admonition and refusal to hold fast to sound doctrine. And God expects his, his vessels to be proper and honorable. And this is not unreasonable for God to expect this of you and I. This is not unreasonable. And the thing about God, and I love this about him, because when I think about my life and I think about the way that God has dealt with me, 
He has constantly been pursuing me to this end. Constantly in my life. I mean, it's one of the evidences that you know that you belong to him. Because if you're his and you're a vessel in his house, then he will constantly pursue you to be a proper vessel. And there are things that you just can't, you can't keep living this way. You can't keep thinking this way. Yes, God will give you room because he can't control you. He would like to, but he can't. There's a free will that's involved here. So there are things that exist in our lives that, that God does not approve of, that yet we can stay very stubborn and very prideful and, and thick-headed about. And yet God's like, I don't want that. And so what then happens, like a good father, is discipline and chastisement, where he's correcting. But he's so good in his correction because oftentimes he doesn't necessarily correct me from without immediately. He corrects me within. When I'm reading his word and there's something that's not right in my life and it stands out to me, I need to pay attention. When someone comes along and God is teaching them something and they're sharing with me what God has, what God has taught them and they're sharing passages of scripture and the spirit of God inside of me is convicting me about what they're saying where I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. And that's why I love testimonies. Testimonies are so powerful to see how God has used people and what he's done in them and then they declare what God has done how many times have you been convicted by people giving their testimony? So many times. We need that. That's why we need each other. That's why we're the body of Christ. And so God will constantly pursue us to this end, but ultimately, it's our choice whether or not we will let him have his way inside of us. And that's where you pick up with verse 21. If a man... Therefore, purge himself from these. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So if we want to be meat for the master's use, you have to be a proper vessel. And that means that proper vessels are honorable. Let her be on your study sheet. Proper vessels are honorable. They're honorable. And he says two things very specifically here. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use. So the two words that are connected here are purged and sanctified. And so to purge means to cleanse or purify by separating and carrying off whatever is impure or foreign. Another term could be to evacuate or to clarify, to make more clear. When I was thinking about these terms, I thought about when I was a kid, my dad would often make fishing lures and he would make uh, jig heads. And he had this little setup. It wasn't like super complex, but it had a little crucible in it. And he would take lead and he would put it in the crucible when it was hot and it would melt. And I'm telling you, as a little kid, especially as a young boy, that was like the coolest thing in the world. I mean, you take metal and then it melts and then how it looks. Like, I loved it. Every time he did it, I loved watching that unfold. And my parents would often take circumstances like that and try to teach spiritual truth in it. And so I remember him talking to me about whenever that would happen. He's like, you know why I do this? I'm like, well, no. He's like, well, first of all, I need to mold it and shape it into what I want it to be. You can't take something that's just a lump of lead and then make it into a lure. So I have to mold it and shape it to go around the hook. And so I have to melt it down. But the other thing that men would often do when they melt metals down is that you melt it. And then what happens? Well, the impurities, they would always come to the surface. And then those impurities, you would skim them off 
and then you'd have a more pure metal because impurities compromise the stability of the metal. And that can only happen through heat. And it makes me think of Jeremiah 23, 29, where it says God's word is like a fire and is like a hammer. And fire and hammers are not always comfortable. They can be. I mean, you need a hammer in order to repair certain things. And you need a fire in order to get warm. But if you get too close to that fire, what is it going to do? It is going to hurt very, very badly. <laughs> and that's what God's word does, is that a fire can be a, a great comfort to you, and it can bring great, great comfort to your soul, and it can bring heat to where you're cold. But if you get too close, it will start to burn. And so we are vessels. We are materials in the hands of God, and God wants to mold us and to shape us to do who he wants us to be. And so if we are going to be proper vessels, then we have to be purged in order to be sanctified. And very specifically in this passage, when it says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, these, what is the these here? What he's referring to here is Hymenaeus and Philetus. He's referring to their profane and vain babblings. He's referring to their word, their false word that eats like a canker their false doctrine that they believe. And so you can't have false doctrine inside of you and be a proper vessel. This is why we care so much about sound doctrine. We have to care about sound doctrine. We have to. There's a lot of people that think that we're weird because we care so much about doctrine. Doctrine matters. It is so important. How do you know what you believe is true until it's been tested? Because otherwise, what are you following? You're following your own feelings. You're following your opinions. You're following the opinions of other people. You're following men's traditions. You're not following God. So if we're going to follow God and we're going to be God honoring, then we have to have God's doctrine. And it's not our doctrine, it's his. And we adopt his doctrine into our life. And as we do that, then your life will be sound. And so what happens oftentimes in our life is that when there's unsound doctrine and God's like, okay, I want you to be a proper vessel and you need to be purged and he's convicting and he's trying to get your attention and he's bringing this person and that person and you're coming across this passage or you're hearing a certain message on a Wednesday or on a Sunday or, or you're listening to something on the radio or something. God will use whatever it takes to get to us and it will convict you. And that fire comes in and it convicts and stirs inside of you and it takes those impurities if you let it by the way, it takes those impurities and it rises it to the top to the point where you can't ignore it anymore. You have to do something with it. Are you going to actually skim it off and evacuate it out of you and out of your life? Or are you going to take that fire away and let the impurities settle back into your life? Because that's what happens in all of our lives. And so we need to be, if we really want to be a proper vessel we need to let God's word have his way inside of us to cleanse us and to purify us. Because the next thing that's connected with purge is sanctified, sanctified. We've been covering this on Wednesday night. We've been talking about the will of God for our life. And the second will of God is to be sanctified. And to sanctify means to be made holy, to be set apart from the world unto God for his plans and his purposes for his glory. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Hold your spot in 2 Timothy and go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. This is the heart of every discipler. Their disciples... They want them to increase and to walk with God more and more and more and to abound more and more and more. Verse two, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And then he's going to explain that, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. It is God's will that we would be sanctified, to be set apart from this world. And the only way that we can be set apart from this world is if we are willing to purge ourselves of anything that is false, anything that is doctrinally unsound, any behavior that is unseemly, because that is knowing how to possess our vessel in sanctification in honor, not like anybody else, not like the Gentiles, which know not God. We're not supposed to look like the rest of the world. We're not supposed to behave like the rest of the world. We don't think like the rest of the world. We belong to God. We are vessels in his household. And so there are things that exist because we're in this world. We're supposed to be in this world, but not of the world. And so we have to learn how to get this stuff out. We have to. And if you don't, then the only result is, is that we are going to die and we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to have failed in the mission that God has given us. And I tell you, it's a great motivator for me. The more gracious that God has been with me in my life, the more it motivates me to want to live for him. Because I'm starting to understand the price that he paid for me. Because the longer I live and the things that I struggle with and my weaknesses and my, my lustful flesh and different things that I struggle with on a daily basis, the longer I live, the more I understand that price. And how good God is to me. And the goodness of God leads us to repentance. There are so many things that I feel like, and Scripture talks about this, he gives us less than our iniquities deserve. And so that gratitude, that thankfulness, that appreciation that I have, I'm not always going to be perfect, and there are things that I still mess up on, but I want to be a proper vessel. I want those things that are in me that don't honor him, I want it to go away. And I want to be able to look him in the eye and I want him to be able to say, well done. You did what I told you to do. You did what I've asked you to do. I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. I don't. 
I want to be a vessel of honor. And we ought to be for our Lord. We ought to be. So the only way that's going to happen is if we allow God's word to have his way inside of us. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It is the word of God that sets us apart. It's the word of God that convicts us. It makes those impurities come to the surface. And then we can choose to then skim them away, get them out of here so we can be sanctified. We cannot be sanctified if we're looking like the rest of the world. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. True faith does not come from emotions. It does not come from circumstances. It comes from the word of God. When we read God's word and we believe what it says, then we have the ability to have proper faith. In Ephesians 5, 26, where he's talking about his bride, Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, husbands and wives, every good husband has this towards his wife, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. I mean, even when you think about Ephesians 5 and you think about the context of that with marriages between husbands and wives, like my wife does not belong to anybody else except for me. And if there is anything that would compromise our relationship, I don't want it in my house. Like I don't, I, I don't want that. And that's not me being an egotistical guy or, you know, patriarchy. No, I'm not. Like that's not what I'm talking about here. It's that I belong to my wife and she belongs to me. And so she has been set apart from anything else, any other person, any other man, and now she is unto me. And we did that on our wedding day. And I made vows that sanctified me unto her, that I don't belong to anyone else, any other woman, anything else except for her. And when you think about that, and there's problems in a marriage relationship, that's because you're not properly sanctified with one another. And how does sanctification happen? Through the word of God. This is why marriage is holy and honorable, because it is from the heart and mind of God. So as husbands do things that are biblical and that are right, and they're judging themselves according to the standard of God's word, and as wives are doing that which is right and righteous according to the standard of God's word, it brings them closer together. And that's how it's supposed to be. And so if there are issues happening, it's because there's something wrong in that process. It is God's will that we be set apart from this world. It's required that we purge ourselves from the people like Hymenaeus and Philetus and their vain babblings. And that, along with anything else, that will make us this vessel of dishonor. And as I said before, if you have unsound behavior in your life and you have unsound doctrine, and all of us need to be purged and sanctified. All of us on a daily basis. We are to be proper vessels that are honorable. And it begins with being purged and sanctified. The next point is that we need to be meet and prepared. So back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 21 again. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. To be meet and prepared. Proper vessels are meet and prepared. This word meet, it reminds me of how God has created for me a help meet. 
And so out of all the people on the planet, my wife is my help meet. There's no one else that is uniquely equipped like her to be my help meet. And as Proverbs talks about, any wise woman, she builds her house. She does not pluck it down with her hands. And in this relationship that we have together, she is supposed to help me with my weaknesses, with my frailties, with the things that I can't see. And I likewise am supposed to do the same thing for her. But God uniquely calls her to be my helpmeet. I can't see everything. And I've got blind spots. And I have found that if Megan and I want to honor the Lord separately, then we'll want to honor the Lord together. And I have found that I have been able to make so much better decisions with her in my life than without her in my life. And it's not because she's perfect, because neither am I. It's because she wants to honor the Lord and God has wired her very differently than me. And so the strengths that we have and the weaknesses that we have can counterbalance one another and it broadens my perspective and my vision of how I see things. Because what I've learned over time is that there are things that I am not concerned about like at all. And she's very concerned about it. And so I have one of two choices. I can say, ah, you're just, you know, you're worried about nothing, which I've done that before. Or I can say, you know what? There's probably something here that I don't see. So I need to take a minute. I need to take a look at this because she's obviously feeling this way, seeing this. Is there something here that I am not seeing properly? Because I can't see everything and I need her perspective. And sometimes after we work it out, it's nothing. But there are some times that we work it out and it's like, no, 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 I need to think differently about this. And it's changed me. And that's why I firmly believe that a biblical marriage makes men more holy and makes women more holy. Because that's the whole purpose of marriage is to make us more holy, to be more proper vessels for God's use. And so as we both follow the Lord and do that together, God can do some amazing things inside of us to be meet and prepared for his use. So I'm so thankful this whole marriage and family thing, it is definitely invented in the mind of God because he has used that so much, so much in my life when it comes to things that I thought I understood and then I clearly didn't. Biblical truth that now leaps off the page where when I was single, I didn't quite understand it the same way. And this is why God wants this to exist in our life. He wants us to be meet and prepared. Romans 12, 1 and 2, another will of God that we've already covered. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants to use us as vessels to prove to this world his existence and to prove his acceptable and perfect will of God, and to prove that which is good. And we're not going to be able to do it if we are not willing to purge, be sanctified, set apart, meet, and prepared for his use. We're already in 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 16. Verses that we need to have memorized. All scripture, not part, all. Many people like to pick and choose. You can't do that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, as vessels in the hand of God, as proper servants, meet for the master's use. This means that scripture has its way in us and it teaches us first doctrine. Those are the things that are right. It reproves us. It tells us what is wrong. It corrects us. It tells us how to fix what is wrong. And instruction in righteousness, it tells us how to keep it fixed. The scriptures tell us what's right, what's wrong, how to fix what's wrong, and how to keep it fixed. Why? That the man and woman of God may be perfect, truly furnished, not partly, not kind of, not 90%, truly, completely, not thoroughly either, truly, from the inside out, truly furnished unto all good works. We cannot do what God wants us to do in this world. We cannot fulfill these good works that he has for us, as Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There are certain things that God wants us to do, generally his will of God, and specifically his plan for each of us, that he wants us to walk in those things. You can't find the individual plan that he has for you until you're willing to walk in the general will of God for your life. That's a little plug for Wednesday, by the way. Come out on Wednesday. It's been a great study so far. And invite people to come because you, there's nothing more important for you to learn than the will of God for your life. Because as you're obedient in God's will for you, then he can show you that individual plan, these good works that he specifically laid out for you. Because there is no one like you. There is no one like you. Unique out of all humanity that has ever existed, there is no one like you. And there are certain things that he wants you to accomplish. There are certain people that he needs you to be able to reach that no one else is going to be able to reach. You know, I used the illustration when I was in when the singles. We had a winter retreat. And when I've been running now for, you know, and lifting weights and doing some stuff, well, Jake Allen, he's over at Greentown. Um, he's been kicking my butt on a couple different things. And we haven't worked out in a little while now, but there was this workout plan that he had us do. And in this workout plan, we had to run with weighted vests. I don't know if you're like, first of all, I don't even like running. So I don't, I don't understand the question there. <laughs> but secondly, to run with weighted vests. And so it wasn't just like a 20-pound vest. It was a 40-pound vest. And so we started off at like four miles and running with that. And there were some weeks where I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Questioning my life and everything that I'm doing. And Jake's like, are we still friends? And I'm like, yeah, we're still friends. But, um, but we ended up doing this and we would often go, and we went on, on the trail, the Hoover Trail. And we ended, we ended the whole workout routine once we were weeks into it at the very end that we had to run seven miles seven miles with a 40 pound weight of vest. Now, I will tell you that it hurt. <laughs> it bruised my shoulders. It bruised. You could see it in the mirror. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so much like us. This is what we do. Because Romans talks about, Hebrews talks about more specifically, but it talks about how that we run with these weights that so easily beset us. It is so much easier to run when you don't have weights on. So much easier. You can trust me. I've done it. I remember running four miles, and then I took the weights off, and then I ran four miles, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like easy. This is a piece of cake. It's because it was. 
Those things were weighing me down. It was keeping me down to the earth and it was weighing me down and it was hurting my physical body. And that's how we treat these shortcomings in our life, these sins that so easily beset us. Because if we're going to be meet and prepared, we have to take off those weights. We can't keep putting them back on again. You have to, you have to run. There's a race that God wants you to run, but it's so much better. And you'll get a lot more accomplished. And you won't waste as much time if you're going to run without the weights. Because I couldn't run as fast with the weights. It wasn't possible. So normally with seven miles, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with about a 10-minute mile if I'm just pacing myself and having an easy run. And so you can get that done in 70 minutes. But if you have a 40-pound vest on, it was taking almost double the amount of time because you had these weights on. And we tend to do that. God has set in order things that he wants us to accomplish. And we're not going to be able to find those things out unless we are willing to do this in our life, to purge, be sanctified, to be meet and prepared unto every good work, meet for his use. Because if you're dealing with yourself all the time, there's no room for his will to be accomplished. Many of us just get stuck in the cycle that we're dealing with our issues all the time. And if you do that, you know who you're like? It's like the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. It's the sin cycle where they would fall into sin and they're like, oh God, please help us because condemnation's coming. God, we need you. We're sorry. We made all these mistakes. And God's like, okay. And he sends a deliverer and the deliverer sets them free. And they're like, yes, we love the Lord. We'll never leave. And then yeah, back into sin again, consequences. Oh God, please help us. Please help us. We need you. All right. We'll send a deliverer. Yay. We love God again. And so we go, we go through all these cycles over and 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 over again. God can't use you. He wants to. He has a heart to. He's sitting on the sidelines saying, listen, is this the time? Are you, like, are you, are you actually going to let this go this time? Like, are you going to let, or is this going to be just another cycle? Because there are things that he wants to accomplish. There's things he wants to take you and put you in these circumstances for him to be magnified and glorified, for him to be honored, for people to look at your life and say, wow, God's real. God is real, and if he can do that in you, then what can he do in me? And as we live out our faith, that's what's going to change the world. It's not all the other stuff that's out there. It's the fact that a real person with real problems met a real God who changed them from the inside out. And as a result, they go out into this real world that is dying and is lost, and they can actually see something that's real. They can see a vessel unto honor that has been sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And that takes time. It takes maturity. But sometimes, if we're just honest, we keep getting in our own way. When is it going to be enough? When? You never know what a day is going to bring. You don't know when your last day is going to be. But you have now. You have breath in your body now. You're alive now. Your heart is beating now. So obey now. Now is the time. 
I know that there are things that are rising up right now in the midst of your heart because of the word of God that you're seeing right now are as impurities. Get it out. Get it out and be prepared and meet for the master's use. I, in my life, I, I know I'm going to have regret. I already look back on things in my life, recent and in the past, of things that I know that I mishandled, that I didn't do right. And I don't want to make more of those decisions. And I know that God can be honored through those things because I'm willing to be humble and honest about him and to say, listen, don't do what I did. And when I see people that I've offended, and I've done this even with stuff in my past where I've had opportunities to go up to them and say, listen, I'm sorry for who I was. I remember doing that. It was actually within the last couple of years. There was someone in high school. There were some things in high school that I was just, I was an idiot about. And I saw her and I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm really sorry for, for what, I, what I did, who I was, some of the decisions I made in high school. And you know what she did? Because she's lost. Oh, it's okay. We were all dumb, dumb high schoolers. We made mistakes. And I said, no, listen, I'm sorry. I did things that were not right. And I need to tell you that I'm sorry. And I don't know what her response is going to be with that. And I don't know if God used that. But I knew what I needed to do. And I knew that I needed to make that right. So we need to be vessels unto honor, meet and prepared for his use. Let her see. Proper vessels flee youthful lusts and follow what is right. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So not only are we to sanctify ourselves from this world unto God, but we are to flee youthful lusts and to follow what's right. The flesh thrives on lusts, especially youthful lusts. And this is why the Bible explicitly teaches that we are to flee fornication in 1 Corinthians 6, Flee idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10. Mortify the deeds of the body in Romans 8. Put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is renewed after Christ in Colossians 3. These lusts war against the soul in 1 Peter 2. And they defile us from the inside out. And if you're going to flee, then you must follow. If you're going to purge these things out, and if you're going to flee youthful lusts, then you must follow. Because if you don't, Follow after you flee, you are going to run back. And these lusts can become thorns in your side that will hinder everything in your walk with God. And Paul told Timothy something very similar back in 1 Timothy. He said this, I'll just read it. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Paul told him that back in 1 Timothy. And here he's reminding Timothy, hey, now that you've done this, now remind everybody else to do this exact same thing. Flee these things. Flee these youthful lusts. And why? We need reminded. And we need to be put into remembrance of these things constantly because of this battle that rages in our flesh all the time. This lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
We need reminded of this, that we need to flee these things. It's really an issue of maturity. And in 1 Peter 4, these verses have always been very convicting to me. It says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Now, these are verses you're going to have to sit and think about. Because Christ in his humanity, because he's 100% God, 100% man, in his humanity, he suffered in his flesh. There were things that he did not want to do, but yet he knew that this is God's will, so I'm going to do it. There were things that he was tempted in. We read that in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted of the devil, but there was more than just that. that He was suffering in his flesh. And so what Peter's saying here is arm yourselves likewise with that exact same mind because when you battle your flesh and you suffer in your flesh and you end up saying no to sin, why do we do that? Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. The Spirit of God inside of every born-again believer gives you the ability to say no to sin and yes to whatever God asks you to do. And there is no excuse for it. There will never be a circumstance where you have to sin. Never. God will never put you in a situation where the only way out is to do what's wrong and to do what is unbiblical. In those circumstances, no matter how hard the temptation might be, no matter how hard the struggle might be, no matter how hard the circumstances might be, you have a choice to live in that time according to the lusts of the flesh that are common to us all, or to walk in the will of God. There's never a circumstance that it is okay to do the wrong thing, ever, no matter what it is. We can justify it, and we're pretty good at justifying that kind of stuff, especially when it's something that we're really mad about. But it's never okay. It is never okay. And so then he says, not only are we supposed to flee these youthful lusts, but to follow. What are we supposed to follow? Righteousness, faith, charity, peace. And this is a key phrase here. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I wish we had time to get into Titus, but I don't think we're going to be able to. Yeah, we'll do it. All right, go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Sometimes it's not easy to be able to discern... Well, how do you do that? How do you flee these youthful lusts? How do you flee these things and follow after this righteousness, peace, charity? How do you actually do that? Well, it says very clearly, with them that call upon the Lord with a pure heart. You need to have people in your life that you can look to. You need to have people that you can mark as righteous, godly men and women and see how they behaved, and, saw, and see the decisions that they're making, and see how they think, and see how they operate, and you follow them. You flee what you normally would do, and you follow their model. Because remember, Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. As long as that person is following the Lord, and they're doing what's right and what's righteous, then you follow their example, because they're doing what's right and righteous. And then you'll learn so many things. Because oftentimes, when we're in these circumstances, 
where it's just hard to flee these youthful lusts because we don't see straight. We don't think straight. We don't, we're, not, we're not thinking right about those things. Well, then you need to look at someone who is thinking right, who does see things right, and you need to follow their example. And that's why in Titus 2, verse 1, talking about this is biblical discipleship, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Well, how is a young man going to learn how to be sober-minded? The aged men, verse 2, be sober. They're seeing the example of the aged men ahead of them. Well, how do you be sober? Look at him. See how he's handling things? See his sober mindset? You be sober. Exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine. See, works, doctrine, they're connected. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. We need people in our life that are farther along. We need their example. We need their wisdom. We need their experience. We need to do the things that they were doing. What holds us back from that a lot of times, actually every time, is pride. That we're not willing to humble ourselves and say, I don't have it all together. No, 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 I've got it. I've, I can figure this out. I've got, I've got it handled. I can, hold on. Do you though? Like, what would it hurt? What, what would it hurt to go and get the advice of someone that is just a little bit more wise, a little bit more experienced, that's more sound in their life, more stable in their thinking and their decision making? What would it hurt? And the answer would be, it won't. It never does. It may hurt your pride. It may hurt some of those things, but it won't hurt. It can only help. Because let's say they give you advice and it's terrible advice. Well, then just don't take it. <laughs> now, make sure you evaluate that advice with somebody. No, I'm kidding. I can make it complicated. I won't do that. Sorry, I'm having a conversation with myself. <laughs> but honestly, what would it hurt? It won't hurt anything. And if they don't, give you un they don't give you sound advice, well, then just don't take that advice. Or if there's something that's sound in it where it's like, oh, I didn't think about that. And you would have never known if you wouldn't have taken the risk to be humble and ask and to seek that counsel. This is one of the most effective ways that we can be put into remembrance to follow the example, the example, the model of mature and faithful men and women. We need to surround ourselves with true disciples of Jesus Christ. And it will help us greatly. So flee youthful lust and follow what is right. Number two, back to 2 Timothy. So how can we be a servant, meet for the master's use? We need to be a proper vessel. And number two, we need to be a proper servant, a proper servant. Verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. These strifes that would end up coming, this is what happens. A lot of us, 
This is easy for us to do. It's easy for us to get into situations where we cross something that is incorrect and we want to fight for it. And we want to get into these debates and arguments. And Paul was very consistently faithful to reinforce this concept into his disciples, especially Timothy and Titus. You can look at those references. We won't go through all of them, but 2 Timothy 2.14 and verse 16, 1 Timothy 1, 1.4, 4.7, 6.4 and 5, and Titus 2.9, Paul routinely went over this with his disciples. He's like, listen, these are words to no profit. They're profane and vain babblings. They're fables and endless genealogies. They're profane and old wives' fables. They are strifes of words and perverse disputings. All of these things, they don't answer any questions. They only create more questions, and they create envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Those are assumptions and vain imaginations. And it creates ungodliness in both you and them. Now, a lot of this can be learned from experience because let's say you get into a circumstance where you want to fight with somebody about doctrine, about God, about the Bible, about faith or whatever. There come circumstances where we are, if we're honest again, we are more interested in being right in our argument than we are about them and their well-being. Because Proverbs 13.10 says very clearly, only by pride cometh contention. If contention exists in your life, it's because pride is there. But with the well-advised is wisdom. We must be more interested in other people's personal and spiritual well-being with the Lord than being right in our argument. We have to. There are certain things that you must avoid because it will not be profitable to anyone. And unfortunately, a lot of these things you can only learn by getting into those fights. Because once you get in those fights and then you get out of them, you're like, well, that was a waste of time. Congratulations, you just matured. <laughs> if you're willing to receive it, however. It's not like, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. No, no, no. Listen, it was unprofitable in vain. You were disputing about things that really don't matter. And oftentimes you got to get into a bunch of scraps and then get out of them and then realize, you know what? I shouldn't have gotten into that to begin with. It's like taking a dog by the ears. So what can you do? Because these things are going to come up. If we're going to minister, if we're going to be a proper vessel and we're going to go out into this world and people to see a real God and how a real God has changed your real life, then there's going to be conversations. There's going to be issues. There's going to be things. And we should want to minister, to be that vessel that's meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. So you get out there and you start being used of God. So then what are you going to do? You have to learn how to discern what's the point of contention. Like, what's the real issue here? What's actually really going on? This is why I love in discipleship the water coolers. Now, I'm, I'm, so the water cooler questions, when you think about it, they're on the spot. So when Nate and I meet together and we're working through them, and I ask him a question, he'd be like, well, I think I would answer like this. And then he'll give me the answer. And then as he's giving me an answer, then I'm like, well, this is kind of how I would answer that question. And then we learn from one another. But what I've learned after going through the water coolers over and over and over and over is that you have a question like, okay, here's a great one. Why would a loving God allow people to just die from hurricanes, wars, famines? If he loved them, why couldn't he just do something to save him? Okay, what's the real question there? Is it that on the surface? Of course not. They're not. The real question is, 
there's something I'm mad at God about in my life. And when you look at it from that perspective, number one, you have an immediate heart for them. And now you can ask him some questions about what's going on. I remember I have a friend in my life who I witnessed to in high school. And to this day, he's very mad at me. I don't know what I said to him. I don't, I don't. I have a feeling and an idea of what it might be about because he gets hypersensitive on a certain issue. But he lives in another state now. And we reconnected a little bit. He sent me a message and, uh, and we were chatting back and forth. And he was like, I mean, mad as all get out of me, like mad to the point where like, I'm a mockery of God and of the gospel and da, 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 all this stuff. And I'm just like, what in the world? Like, it hit me like a ton of bricks from a, an angle I wasn't looking for. And I asked him a question. I'm like, what happened to make you so mad at God? Because that's really what's going on. It wasn't me. He wasn't mad at me. Yes, he's mad at me. He's mad at God. Like there's something that happened in his life that he can't reconcile God with the circumstance that he's struggling with in his life. And so as a result, he takes it out on me because I'm God's representative. I'm his ambassador. I'm the one that actually shared the truth with him. I'm the one that opened up the scriptures with him. I'm the one that he supposedly was led to the Lord with that I'm not sure if he is. I just, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But he's mad at me about it. The real question is, is God did something and I don't like it. God did something in my life and I don't like it and I don't like how it feels. Therefore, I don't like God and I choose to not believe in him. That's the issue. Once you dig down to what the real issue that's going on, now you can sort through all the weeds and get down to that's what's going on right here. So we have to avoid these foolish and unlearned questions. We have to let her be, be gentle unto all men. We don't want to do things that gender strifes. We have to be gentle unto all men. Verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So we as servants of God, as servants of the Lord, we must not strive. We need to be gentle unto all men. And the first thing that it says here is apt to teach. I love how it says apt to teach. It says apt to teach. It does not say teach. Apt means that you are ready, willing, and available to teach. But you have to know when it's not the right time. Because there are times where it's time to teach. And there are times that when you teach, you're making everything worse. Because there are certain times in people's lives and certain seasons that they don't want to hear from God. There are certain things that are going on in their life where they don't want to hear from God. And so if you're saying, well, this is what God says, and this is what this scripture says, and this is what this does, they're going to be like, no, 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 no. They're not going to want to hear it. And so what do we do instead? We're not going to strive, be gentle, apt to teach. When the time comes and the door opens, then you teach. Be gentle. There are times where God just wants to use you and not him to reach them. That may sound crazy, and hopefully I'm not speaking in foreign language when I said that. Because they don't want to hear from God. So what do they need? They need you. 
When we're ambassadors for God, 2 Corinthians 5 is an incredible chapter on this. It starts off in 17, works all the way down to verse 21. And it's, it's beautiful how it lays out there because it says that we beseech you in Christ's stead, be reconciled unto God. So that means that there are moments that in order to reach someone for God, that you have to stand in the gap and they can't hear God yet. They can't know God yet. They can't feel God or see God or understand God, but they can see you. They can feel you. They can understand you. And so in that moment, it's more important for them to be with you and to get to know you and your heart and your mind because they can see you. They can touch you. They can, they can, they can be with you. And if you have the heart of a vessel meet for the master's use, what they don't understand and maybe what they don't get at the moment is that as they're interacting with you, who are they actually interacting with? The Lord. Because if you're a vessel in his hands, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work, and now you're in this circumstance and you are being patient, gentle, apt to teach, teach, and you're working through it, they're actually interacting with God and they don't even know it yet. And in that circumstance, he begins to break down those walls that have been inside of them for so long because you're loving them, because you love them and you care for them as Christ would, as a reconciler, as a mediator. And as you do that, then all of a sudden they start to hear God and they can start to receive truth and they can be taught. So sometimes we just have got to slow down. Not in every case. Not in every case. This is discernment. You have to know when to do this. You have to be apt to teach. And this can take, this only can happen if you have a heart that does not strive and that you're gentle and that you're patient. In James chapter 1, with our next point, apt to teach, then patient. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We have to be, as it says first, swift to hear, slow to speak. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, there is a place for wrath. It can happen. There is godly wrath and godly anger. But you need to be swift to hear first, slow to speak. Be a good listener. When you learn how to listen and ask questions and to truly understand them, you will begin to know how to speak effectively with them and to them. This comes when you remember to care about their soul and their fruitfulness towards the Lord more than being right. This is important as a minister. Because remember, you represent Jesus Christ. You represent him. So that means the things that you say, the things that you think, the things that you do are the same things that Christ would say, think, and do. You are his representative. How would Christ love them in this circumstance? And then you do that. No matter what the circumstances are, you have the ability to relate to them in one way or another. This is why we can be patient, because we are all vile sinners on our best day. And we have all come from a place of immaturity and ignorance. Now, where patience can run out, 
is with those that willingly continue in their false ways when they know. But honestly, even in that circumstance, we still can have the grace and the mercy to deal with them, knowing how the Lord has dealt with you. Because have you not been willingly ignorant about things? Like, have you not known the truth and still chose to do what's wrong? Okay, so then why can't you exercise grace and mercy upon them? Now, there's a place in time to just lay down the hammer. But honestly, like if we're going to be ministers, think about how Christ deals with you. Just, just think about how God deals with you on a daily basis. Does God bring down the hammer every day, every hour on you? I mean, does he? He doesn't in my life. Most of the time when God is dealing with me, it's gentle. Hey, remember this. Mm, that was a bad decision. Why are you thinking that? Don't think that way. You know that's not right. And I, that's how God deals with me. And what happens is the hammer comes after I've known that, and I'm like, nope. I know that. Nope. I know that's, yep, nope. And you keep ignoring. You keep pushing him aside. You keep, and you keep going down the direction that you're going. And then the hammer comes, and it's like I knew all along. That's happened in my life. And I'll tell you, it's only happened one time. There was one time when that happened in my life. And I don't ever want to go back there again. I don't ever want to go back there again. And so when God speaks to me gently and he's reminding me things, I need to pay attention. I need to hear him because there's something that he wants me to change. And that's how we deal with people. We have to. Now, if they're going to be stubborn and they're going to be contentious about it, well, then they just need to get out. They just need to get out. There's nothing you can do about it. But if people are just in their ignorance, we can be patient and we can be kind. And we need to instruct with meekness. And that's our next point to instruct in meekness. The first three references, Numbers 12, Matthew 11, and 2 Corinthians 10. This is Moses, Jesus, and Paul. And those are three men in the Bible that speak very specifically that they were either men of great meekness or that they spoke with great meekness. And they are incredible examples on how to instruct with meekness. Ministering out of frustration is the exact opposite. It will never work. This does not mean that you're never going to get frustrated. But you will not be able to lead, teach, and guide anyone that is opposing themselves with that kind of hard attitude. You can't. Try leading someone when you're frustrated. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work well. Whenever I'm frustrated with my kids, the outcome is never good. It is never good. And there's a lot of times where I have to go back to my kids and say, listen, I'm sorry for how I talked to you. That wasn't right. I should have handled myself differently. However, what I said was still true, but <laughs> I didn't do it right. I didn't handle it right. So we have to instruct with meekness. So when it comes to people and how this works out in real life, when a good door finally opens to instruct, we need to do it with meekness. And this is the grace of Jesus Christ, having a softness of temper, mildness, gentleness, forbearance under injury, even taking the hit if it's necessary on your part, remembering that they are opposing themselves because that's what false doctrine does. False doctrine, they are in a position where they are opposing themselves. They are believing something that is a contrary to their best interest. And they don't even realize it. They're not right in the spiritual mind. They're not. 
They are spiritually ill, and as a result, they're doing something that harms themselves, and they don't even recognize it. And so as a result of their opposing themselves, we come in, and if we're instructing with meekness, we're patient, we're apt to teach, then maybe, like it says, it says, if God peradventure will give them repentance, the acknowledging of the truth. This is so important. This is a great definition of what repentance actually is. Repentance is the acknowledging of the truth. That's really what it is. And you cannot be right with God until you repent biblically, which means this is the truth. And this, again, is very difficult for us because we don't want to be obedient to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise, verse 7, in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. God is faithful to bring things to a point of clarity in the mind of every person about every issue that's going on in their life. He's good to do that. He's faithful to do that. And when they come to that point of clarity, they have a decision to make. I am going to either push my thoughts, my opinions, my beliefs totally aside, and I am going to adopt God's truth. That's what it means, acknowledging the truth. Or, I know this is what God says, and I'm going to push that aside, and I'm going to cling to my own ways, my own thoughts, my own opinions, my own desires, and what I think and what I want to do. False doctrine. And then you're just going to continue one way or the other. And God is good to bring you again to a point of clarity where he brings his truth up and it's right in front of your face and you know what's right, you know what's true, and then you have a choice to make. But how many times is God actually going to do that? I believe that as long as a person has breath in their body, that he's going to give them an opportunity. But I also know that the more you say no to God, the more you push him aside, the quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter his voice gets. And it's not because he has stopped speaking. He continues to speak at the same volume. It's your refusal to hear what he has actually said. Because you can tune him out. We do it all the time. When I go to a coffee shop, I love studying in a coffee shop. I get a lot done. My wife's like, how do you get all this stuff done? There's people talking, music. I just tune them out. It's just background noise. Many people treat God that way. And so if we are going to be this minister that's instructing in meekness, we're patient, we're gentle, we're apt to teach, then he will use us to bring them to the point of clarity where they can see the truth for what it is, and God grants them that repentance, but they are the ones that need to choose it. Verse 26, letter C, understand the snare of the devil, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The snared, those that are in false doctrine, false ways of thinking, are only able to recover themselves. This is so important. Please, please understand this. You can't save anyone. You cannot rescue anyone. You cannot bring people to the point of repentance. You can tell them the truth. You can love them. You can care for them. You can embrace them. You can give them everything that they need. God can use you to bring them to that point of clarity, but you can't make that decision for them. That is in between them and the Lord. They have to recover themselves. This is hard for me. This is really hard for me. 
that same friend that I told you that, I was mad, that he was mad at me, I remember being in tears at his house and I was sharing the gospel with him and pleading with him to accept Christ. And I had tears in my eyes. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he's like, Stephen, I'm fine. I'm like, no, you're not. You don't understand. He's like, no, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm like, there's nothing else that I could do. I like laid it all out on the field. I just, I put it all out there. I did the best that I could. And I, and I laid it out for him. But then he had to make that decision. I can't make that decision. And I want, I want to. Like, as a minister, like, like I want to make my kids obey. Not because I, because I want what's best for them. Like, I, I want them to think rightly, and I want them to make proper decisions, and I want people to, to do that. But I, I can't. I, there comes a point where, where I've done everything that I can do, and they know what's right, and they know the truth, and I will always be there for them. Always, always. The door is always open, but there comes a point where they have to recover themselves. They have to. And it's only through this biblical repentance, acknowledging the truth. And until they acknowledge the truth, they will remain captive by the devil at his will. And they will be snared. And this is one of the things, honestly, about ministry that is so hard. It's so hard. It's hard to see people that are snared like an animal stuck in a trap. And what do animals do when they're stuck in a trap? They try to do everything they can to get out. And they end up hurting themselves in the process. I remember we were trying to get squirrels out of our attic. I hate squirrels. <laughs> I, I love squirrels. They were cute and whatnot until they get in your attic and make babies. And then I'm like, oh, okay, they got to go. So we hired a guy to come in and set up traps. And then I watched what he did, and I'm like, oh, I can do that. So then I ordered my own stuff, and I set up traps. And I remember that there would be a period of time where this squirrel is stuck in the trap, and it's up in the gutter, and we got a little thing that hangs onto the gutter, and it went in. And it's, but what it's doing constantly, it's going boom, boom, with its face, boom, boom, against the side of the trap again and again and again, because it's thinking it can get its way out. But is it over and over and over? The nose, the face, bloodied. It wants out. But it doesn't understand that you're hurting yourself in the process. And I feel like that there's so many times where, where it's like we're in this prison of our own making and we have closed the door and the door is locked and you can easily push it open, but you're trying everything else to get out. And in the process, you're hurting yourself and causing great injury when you just, it's, it's right, it's right there. Just Open the door and walk through it. I don't see a door. It's because you're not hearing me. You're not acknowledging the truth. You don't see what's right in front of you. And as a result, you're hurting yourself and, frankly, people around you. This happens all the time, and it's so hard because I've done it to myself. And then when I see other people doing it, I'm like, it's the deceitfulness of, of sin. This is what it does. It causes you not to see things. It causes you not to see straight. And as a minister, when we are properly prepared to meet for the master's use and we're out there in the world and we're ministering, we're being that mediator for God and we're doing what he's telling us to do and we're being that, that minister that's, that's apt to teach and gentle and patient and being with meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure, 
Grant them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who have taken them captive by him at his will. That's ministry. It's so hard. But there's nothing greater than being a mediator for God. There's nothing greater than declaring the truth and seeing how it affects people's lives and how it changes them from the inside out. I'm so thankful. So the question this morning in closing, where are you today? Where are you today? We're going to pray in a minute, but we've covered many different things, many different things about being a proper vessel and the false doctrine that can exist in our lives. And maybe there's something in your heart and mind and in your life today that just frankly just needs to be perched. It needs to go. It keeps getting in the way of your relationship with God. It keeps getting in the way of God's ability to use you. And maybe it's something you just keep going back to over and over and over again. Maybe you are purged to the best of your knowledge and you're sanctified and you're set apart and you want to be used of God, but you've just been frustrated with people. Well, guess what happens in ministry? If you get frustrated with people, now you are starting to become a vessel of dishonor. Because now you're letting things in that are defiling your walk with God and now you're becoming bitter and angry against people, against ministry, against circumstances, and now God can't use you. If we're going to have the heart of our Savior, we need to have the grace and mercy of our Savior. And God has put up so much with us in order to minister to us. God has humbled himself so much to become a man and to take our sins upon his shoulders. We should be willing to bear those burdens for other people. But when you're doing it, it can be very difficult. Very, very difficult. But this world, more than anything else, needs to see our Lord and Savior. And God wants to use you in order to make that known unto others. So I don't know where you're at today. But whatever it is, would you be obedient to the Lord today? Maybe you came in here today and, you, and God is really convicting you about that you don't even know if you're saved today. Like, do you actually have a right relationship with God? It's very simple. It's very, very simple. It comes first by acknowledging that you're wrong and he's right. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's where it begins. And to have that right relationship with him, it's Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That you know that there's nothing you can do to escape your sin. You can't erase your sin. There's nothing that you can do to get rid of your sin. The only way that your sin can be dealt with is by trusting Jesus Christ as your atonement, as your sacrifice, as your substitute for your sin, because that's what he did for you. He died for you so you wouldn't have to. There's no one like our God, and I'm so thankful for the Lord. I'm so thankful for him. He bridged a gap for me that I could never cross. And if you know that you need him today, it's so simple. All you need to do is right from where you're at, you just need to pray. And you just need to ask him, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you. Would you just please save me? That's it. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What rose to the surface, Christian, in your life today? What's the impurity that God really brought to the forefront that you need to purge and get out so you can be honorable? You're a vessel in the household of God, but you need to be an honorable vessel. It is meat for the master's use. God longingly desires to use you in this world. He needs to use you. This is how he's chosen to do 
ministry in this world, which is incredible to me. And we have the ability to reach people for him and to honor him by reaching other people and to multiply and make disciples. Whatever it is that's been getting in the way, would you please deal with that today? I'm going to pray in a minute, and we're going to close things out. But when we're done, if you need to come up here and you need to just take a minute to pray to God, would you do it? And normally, we haven't done that a lot, but I want, I want to explain something to you. I did this at the singles, and it really helped me, and my wife and I were talking about it. Getting out from your row and coming and praying at these stairs and maybe praying with one of us as pastors, there's nothing like mystical about it, or, and it's not to look good. You know what it is? Is that God's done something in your heart and in your mind that you know you need to deal with, and when you connect it with a physical activity of just coming forward and just kneeling down and praying about that thing, it settles it in your heart more steadily. It allows God to work inside of you. It's not for any other person. It's not for the church. It's not for the pastors. It's for you and your relationship with God. And so if God is stirring inside of you this morning and there's something that you need to deal with, don't be afraid to come forward and don't be embarrassed about it. This is something that God wants you to be obedient in. So come forward and kneel at the stairs and pray or grab somebody and have them pray with you up here. We're a family together. We need each other and we need to deal with these things together. God needs to be magnified in our midst, individually, together as a church. And if we're not going to deal with stuff in our life, then he's never going to be able to be magnified. And so please do that today. If you have questions about salvation, we'll be forward, and you can ask us about it. We'll open up a Bible, and we'll talk to you about it. And there will be people that will be available. Our deacons will be available. The pastors will be available. And we'll answer any questions that you might need. Just whatever it is that God has been convicting you about today, especially today, just be obedient about that one thing. And maybe in your heart and mind, you might be overwhelmed. Like there's a whole list of things. Okay. Sometimes you get overwhelmed and then you don't pick anything. Just choose like one or two things. All right, God, I got a lot of things to deal with, but I know I need to do this and I know I need to do this. Just do that thing. Be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you teach and guide us. We thank you for your goodness to us. And I pray, God, that as we close the service today and go on with the rest of our day, that we would not move away from the things that you taught and convicted us today about. That we would deal with the issues of our hearts and of our life. That we'd be willing to lay ourselves open and have you do whatever you want with us. That we'd be willing to purge and set aside all the things that might be holding us back from our proper relationship with you. That we'd be sanctified and set apart.